All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back. Good to see you all. I was trying to pick one of you to pick up and carry around the room or something, but I, we've all been in quarantine a little too long and eaten a little too much. So none of you looked like good prospects to me. So <laughs> for those of you tuning in online, glad you're here, there, wherever you might be. Um, we're glad to be back in this room, but we understand there's a lot of you that aren't and need to be at home right now uh, and have to be quarantined. And so uh, we're thankful for your sacrifice, for what you're doing to make sure everything else is working in this world. Um, and we appreciate that. So I hope you're as blessed as we are here. Pray that you're blessed there as well. If you are still doing the phone thing, we'd appreciate it um, to share these posts because we have such a great reach when you guys, even when you're in the room, just turning your phones on, sharing this post, all of your contacts see it, and uh, we've had some fruit from it. It's really been neat, and so uh, we want to keep that up. This ministry is permanent now, a part of our fellowship, and uh, and it's wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, opportunity. In fact, so much so that we've we've technically tripled the size of our church. There's twice as many people watching online as there are that actually show up physically. Now I'm not going to forget you guys or anything, but uh, we do want to. We don't want to neglect them, you know, and 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 so. Uh, if you can keep doing that, that's just it's just a blessing for them uh, to know that we're on and, and all that. A couple changes around here. Obviously, I know it's hard. You'll see it once, and at first you're like, whoa, this is different. You'll get used to it and forget it. We The, the projector was starting to fade out, and so the replacement for the projector was 3,800. So I'm just doing this for you. Each one of these TVs was 800, so do the math. It was a lot cheaper to do it this way, and it looks better, and we got to put our dove up, so we were excited about that. Um, and so anyway, it's a little big, seems big, but imagine if the sanctuary was 40 feet, 50 feet longer, which we hope to do someday, then everything just kind of falls into place. So we're thinking ahead anyway. Today, we're going to be in second Kings chapter four. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, it's a mother's day message. Happy mother's day to you all. Um, it's Elisha and the widow. And, uh, she wasn't a mother at the beginning of the story, but she will be at the end of the story. And it's a beautiful, a beautiful picture um, of what God can do. It begins in verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditors, or the creditor, is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Now, what's happening here is back in the day when you had a lot of debts and the man's gone, the boys have to take up that responsibility. It's really no different. Um, we, it says slave, but what it is is you got to work it off. You're going to have to work off your dad's debt, basically. And we would have to do the same thing. I mean, if your parents died and they had a lot of debt and it was passed on to whoever, uh, you'd have to pay that off or you'd want to at least get that taken care of. And so that's all that's happening here, except they literally take the kids away and, you know, they're grown men probably, or maybe 16 or so to, to be those servants. So she's concerned. Uh, my son's dead. He's a part of the prophets. He is one of the prophets. This school of the prophets is, gets more and more interesting every time we get into these guys. Um, you notice Elijah and Elisha never went to the school of the prophets. They just got called, filled with the Holy Spirit and began serving God. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, these school of the prophets, not exactly sure what's going on here. 
Um, we do see in the Old Testament some no-name prophets show up here and there. Maybe there was a bunch of them that had just very little power, very little abilities, very little giftings of the Holy Spirit, and would go and do their one message for their lifetime, perhaps, or maybe two or three times. And Elisha and Elijah might have been like the, the main guys or whatever. All I can say from, from what I see when I'm reading is that there's two guys in these stories that are filled with the Holy Spirit, and there's a bunch of other guys that just don't seem to know what they're doing, honestly. And I can't help but think about the, the disciples when they were told by the religious rulers of the day, I want you to be quiet. I don't want you talking about Jesus anymore. I want you to keep that to yourself. And they said, you know, whether it's right for us to obey men or God, you be the judge. And they left them with a strict warning. And the idea was they, they walked away saying, these guys are unlearned and untrained men. No school of the prophets for these guys, but they had been with Jesus. And that makes all the difference. And I think that's what we'll see in this chapter is when we see a man filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, the power that God can wield through him or her at different times. Um, it's amazing. And without the power of the Holy Spirit, it's academic, literally. I mean, it's literally just a school of the prophets, how to be a prophet, but with no power behind it. And so this woman says, my husband is in debt. Uh, he's going to take my, they're going to take my two kids away. I'm concerned. What I notice about her, and I think this is part of the text that we want to pull from and, and, and put into our lives, is that she's the one that asks. She's the one that's walking by faith. She comes to the prophet. She's the one that says, I need help. We have to cry out. We need to call out. Uh, in James chapter 5, verse 14, it says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The initiative needs to be on the person who's sick. They're the ones that are supposed to call. If they don't want to call, that's fine. The elders, Elisha, any of the prophets aren't mind readers. And we're going to see that here as Elisha says, God concealed things from me. It's not up to us. It's not up to those Christians to know automatically what's going on. We have to, by faith, initiate that conversation or that contact. And so we see that in James. It's the one who's sick needs to call out for the elders to come lay hands on him. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 20, And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind, Jesus, and touched the hem of his garment. It was her faith. It was her willingness to go out. And when this happened and she got healed, Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? And all the guys were like, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. He says, no, someone touched me and power went out of me. What is that all about? It was like involuntary. It's like this woman reached out by faith, knowing that she shouldn't touch a rabbi. She's unclean. To touch a rabbi would make him unclean, but she's desperate, reaches out, touches the hem of the garment by faith and gets healed. You see? That's what this woman's doing. Matthew chapter 14, verses 35 through 36, same idea. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Those who reached out and touched it. They said, and this goes right along with our salvation, Jesus says, I need to be high and lifted up. I need to be lifted up. The Son of Man needs to be lifted up. Like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. 
And the idea is, I will be lifted up, but it is up to you to look upon the cross for your salvation. Just like with Moses, in order for the plague to stop, he could lift up the serpent, but it was up to the person who was sick to look at that and to get healed. It's the same idea. And so this widow is coming by faith, and Elisha's like, yes, absolutely. You know, what do you have around here? What can we, what can we use? Verse three, then he said, go borrow a vessel from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you, you and your sons, then pour it into all of those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Underline that. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. Now it's easy to turn a a miracle like this into a proverb. Well, what you got to do is you need to have a garage sale. If you're short on cash, you need to pay the bills, find out what's in your house, go sell. And that's fine. You can do that. This is a miracle though. This is a beautiful miracle. And I love the aspect of the fact that it's as many jars as you grab. Get as many jars as you can. Now, it doesn't tell us whether they grabbed all the jars they could or just kind of quit. Maybe the boys got tired. You know how kids can be after they're doing chores for a while, you know. It's like, yeah, I think I vacuumed the whole house. I don't know. Or maybe they really did it. Maybe they were good boys knowing that they were going to have to be indentured servants someplace. Let's get as many jars as we can. Let's do what we need to do. In any case, it was up to them to go get it. The prophet didn't go get the jars for him. None of it was in his power. It's all within God's power the whole time. And their faith, they asked, they used what they had in their house. It was a jar of oil. Well, let's make that expand. Basically, Elisha knew what was going to happen. And so they kept grabbing and grabbing and grabbing. Now, this is very similar to Elijah's oil thing, you know, that the oil didn't run out and that's fine. But I've got a different miracle that seems to tie in maybe because that's where I want to go in the text. But it's a, it's a different one. That, that's kind of the automatic one. Well, didn't Elijah do something similar? He did. And we could go over that. But this other one's interesting to me. It's in 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 18 through 19. And it's a prophet. And it's, it's going to come up here. I mean, we haven't got to it yet. It's in about uh, nine weeks from now. We'll be in this chapter. So spoiler alert. The prophet goes up to the king who wants to defeat Syria, and he goes through a process with him of things he needs to do. And again, it's up to the king to have the faith. The prophet just tells him what to do. And then he said, take the arrows to the king. And so he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Just an interesting thought. Now, I don't know how to teach that exactly. I don't even know how to apply that. All I know is those two, these two things go together. It has something to do with me. My perspective of God, how great he is, what he can do, what he can't do things he will do, things he won't do. I think I set a lot of limitations on God. I can either be like this widow who told her boys, you get as many jars as you can, and they cleaned up the town. 
I'm just going to assume that's what happened. Or I can be like this king and say, kind of half-heartedly cry out to God, well, God, if it's your will, I don't know, you know, whatever. Kind of that lazy attitude or just a lack of faith on his part. I don't want to be that. I want to be like this woman who says, okay, whatever you tell me to do, that's exactly what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it 100%. 100% I'm all in. Well, she does. They pour it, and it's just amazing. And, and they do. They, they sell this oil. The boys are out of debt, and they have enough left over to live off of the rest, to live off of it. Never have to. What a, what a wonderful moment that is. I, I can't believe how I can believe it. What's the right word to use? Money is a big deal. It just is. I mean, I, you're like, yeah, we know that. I mean, <laughs> when you have plenty of money, it's fun. Life is, life is kind of good. The, the bills just kind of get paid on time, and, and you can go get that one thing. You don't have to be extravagant, but you don't have to think about it. You can just go get the macaroni and cheese, or you can just go do or plant that plant, or go to the plant house, and I'm going to plant plants in my yard. You know, uh, We don't get to get annuals. Annuals? Are you kidding me? What a waste of money. We need perennials you know, kind of thing. I'm just going to come back next year. Money is a big deal. What? what Pressure is taken off. What a relief. What a what a joy to be financially sound, you know, kind of thing. This isn't a, a pitch or anything. I'm just, I can't imagine where I can the pressure that's been. She came into this like, I have no idea. I'm gonna lose my boys. I lost my husband. That's bad enough, the grief that I'm feeling. But now I'm gonna lose my boys because of talk about a mixed feeling. Because my husband died and left us in debt, I love him, but I could kill him right now, you know, kind of thing. Oh, wait, he's dead. And so she's tossed. And then to have her boy say, oh, see you later, Mom. It looks like i got to work for 14 years, you know, two seven-year stints to pay off Dad's debt or whatever. If we both go, we could just be gone seven years. And she's like, what am I going to do? Going from that place to coming to God by faith and to coming to that place where, oh, all the debt's gone. I can mourn properly for my husband and not be embittered towards him, even though it was way, way back and deep in my heart, but it was there. My boys are staying with me. It, what a relief that was, you know? It makes a big difference. It's a tough time for a lot of people right now, and maybe you're in that boat. I don't know who is and who isn't in that boat. I don't need to know who is and who isn't in that boat of being employed or unemployed. You know, they say 14% is unemployed, almost 15%. I'm sure it'll be much, much higher by then and or by the time this is over with. And how difficult that is. A stimulus check doesn't, doesn't do it, especially when they don't come like they're supposed to on time or whatever. I know a lot of people are still waiting and wondering and hoping and checking their accounts. And it adds, doesn't it? It adds anxiety. It brings into your life turmoil. It's not supposed to. I'm supposed to be content without anything. I'm supposed to be content with everything. I'm supposed to just be content. Paul said so, and yet here I sit, and I'm a little concerned, you know, or a lot concerned. When you come to the Lord, I don't know that your circumstance will change, but your heart does. He, he brings peace. When you begin to pray and you seek the Lord and you bring these problems to him, when you come to him, reaching out to touch the hem of his garment, when you come to just ask for help by faith, God, I need help. I don't know what to do here. Not demanding, but please. 
And you begin to talk with him and he begins to bring comfort to you as you begin that process and that conversation with him. It's such a blessing. It's such a blessing. And these things come to pass and eventually things get straightened out. I know a lot of people are going through that. I don't, again, the prophet or the pastor or the person who you're, who's ministering doesn't have any power over it. Sometimes they get the brunt of it, which you're going to see here with Elijah, Elisha, but they don't have any power over it. I don't know why God doesn't do some of the things he doesn't do or why he does some of the things he does. We're going to run into a story here in this next bit here, in the second miracle of this chapter, and it doesn't make sense. But it's so real. It's so exactly how it is in real life. For a person who's ministering, you know, sometimes you read about David and how great he did. And boy, if I was David and I had a sling, I don't know if I'd have hit Goliath. You think, you put yourself in their shoes. I don't know if I, I can totally put myself in Elisha's shoes. Not that I'm a great man of God like he was, but I totally get it. He blows it like twice. Not blows it, but tries. Let's read it. Let's not guess anymore. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman so she was wealthy and, and, and was a lover of the Lord. And she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. He's a place to stay. No, no holiday in expresses back then, you know? And besides that, usually the, the prophets were poor as a church mouse, you know? And, and so they're coming through town and they're looking just for some hospitality. And boy, does this woman have hospitality. I don't know that it's necessarily a gift, but I tell you, some people are really good at it. Uh, in a Romans chapter 12, verses 10 through 13, it says, to all of us, not just those who are gifted, but be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Just given to it. It's automatic doesn't even cross your mind that you wouldn't offer them a bed or a meal or a place to stay. No, I'm just given to it. Some people aren't given to it. I'm not given to it. Honestly, it doesn't cross my mind. I'm like, well, there's a hotel, you know, down the road. Don't you have a spare bedroom? I do. I do. Yeah. There's a hotel down the road. I don't know what it is about me. I just, it's either a privacy thing or I don't like people or I don't know what it is. I'm just kidding. I like people, but I'm not given to it. I know that it's a weak spot in me. I like people over for dinner. I like them to hang out and I like to, I like it, but I like it when they go home too. You know, it's, it's time for me to go to bed and have my normal Dorito binge at the end of the night and whatever. This woman's given to it until she tells her husband and you notice this husband's just kind of, he's in the background. He's going to be a shadow this whole time. I'm not so sure he's excited about this holy man of God being in this house either. But the woman is, the wife is. She's all about it. She's all about it. And so this guy says, oh, yeah, I guess make a room for him. I mean, we don't see that, but she does. She makes a room for him. Um, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, 
But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. Love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Really? Okay. As each one has received a gift, that's where I kind of think some people are gifted with it, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God gets glorified. Jesus gets glorified when we do this. There are some people's houses that I can go to where I don't think I could do anything wrong. You know, I mean, I could literally walk around in my bathrobe and get in their fridge and just grab whatever I wanted to cook something up and go sit down on their couch and turn on the TV. And they'd be like, are you happy? Can I do anything for you? Look so cozy. Uh, you know, that'd be great. Those people are great. They have the gift of hospitality. Other people, you go to their house and you don't think you're doing anything right. It's like, can I sit here? Well, I, you could, you know. <laughs> Is this the wrong chair to sit in? Well, that's usually where my husband sits. I'm sorry, I'll move over here. Well, that's where my son sits. Where do you want me to sit? You know, kind of thing. Or you just, you just, they, they're probably more like me. Actually, I don't care. You do whatever you want to do in my house, but you just don't feel they're doing it. And I think the difference is the spirit. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. I think when you have people over or want to be a blessing or be hospitable and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's comfortable. It's comfortable like Jesus. It's comfortable like talking to Jesus and being around Jesus. It's comfortable like that. You don't think anything's hidden. There's nothing. You don't have to. You don't have to pretend. There's no, you don't have to. It's just beautiful. And when it's not by the power of the Spirit, you can feel it. You know it. I'm a, I'm a inconvenience. I'm a burden. And you know it. Well, anyway, she doesn't have that. She, let's make him a, a little room up here. Verse 11, and it happened one day that he came there, and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. What a, what a blessing for him. He doesn't have to ask, doesn't have to beg, doesn't have to work for it, just can turn and say, I'm tired. Can I lay down? Yeah, go upstairs. Your room's already. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite woman. And when he called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, now I say that because it's kind of a strange situation, go call the Shunammite woman. She shows up and stands there, and the prophet says to his servant while she's standing there, okay, I don't know what this is about. I'm just pointing it out. Say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And so she's standing right there. I don't know why he doesn't talk directly with her. She, he will later, but this time he doesn't. And she answered, I dwell among my own people. I don't know what that means, except that, no, I'm not worried about the king or anything. No, I'm fine. you don't need to do anything for me. You know, hospitable. You don't have to pay me back. I just love doing it. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And so he's talking to his buddy again. And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. <laughs> he's been observant. She doesn't have any kids, and her, well, her husband ain't. Uh, anyway, and so he, he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door, uh, in the doorway, and then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. So he's handing out babies. Now, at this point, you can have a kid. Look at her response. 
And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. That's like, shut up, you know? <laughs> no, don't say that to me. Don't get my hopes up. I've been there, but you can almost read it. I don't want to read into it too much, but you can sense it, can't you? It's like, no, 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 no. My husband's old. I'm old. We've gone past this. It's been years. We haven't thought about this. Don't. Don't get my hopes up. You're having a baby. And she did. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he was out uh, to his father, to the reapers, and he said to his father, my head, my head. Now, we don't know if this is sunstroke. We, don't, we always like to guess what this is, what, what's he got, what's happening. Um, it's not good, whatever it is. He's got a terrible headache. So he said to his servant, the dad does, Mr. Compassion here, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon, then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back, period, no exclamation point. I point that out because she's not screaming. She's not hysterical. So he said, why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon or the Sabbath. This guy just sounds like an unbeliever to me, like that husband. Why are you going to church on Wednesday? It ain't Sunday. You know, that kind of thing. It ain't Jesus day. Look what she says to him. And she said, it is well. It isn't well. Their boy's dead up in the prophet's bed. It's a strange calm. I mean, you got to see that, right? He's, What's going on? Why are, you, why are you going to see him today? It's all good. She just knows, it seems like, I'm not bringing this to him. I'm not telling him. The, the, the man didn't even bring the boy back to her himself. He has no, there is none of that. Now, maybe it was just inconvenient. Oh, he's got a headache. He's been a pain all day long. He's been fussing and complaining, always asking for water. I don't know. But I do take a lesson from this as a husband or as a father that we need to be that. <laughs> a husband and a father, not just a provider, you know, we need to come alongside of our wives and help with the kids. We need to come alongside and be the parent that they need. The two are one flesh. We're both parents. This guy should have brought him back, should have been concerned for his son, should have said, how's, how's my boy? Is he okay? Send him back with the servant. I was in the middle of cleaning off whatever, or take it, putting a belt back on the whatever. How's my son? That didn't even come up. Everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. In other words, we're moving. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. That's where Elisha is with the servant. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant, Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her. And say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? Find out what's wrong. So he gets there and she answers, it is well. I mean, she's in the zone. I don't know what to make of this, except this is a deep, deep, deep pain for her. This is a deep concern for her. No, I'm not telling you. 
No, I'm not telling you. I'm going to the one that gave me this boy. I mean, she, this is a woman of faith. This is a woman who has so much faith, was so content in her life, so much a blessing to those around her that she builds a room for a prophet who travels through once in a while. She was fine. Look how she words this. So he says it's fine. When she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. That's when she lets it out. That's when everything out of her, all that built up, pent up emotion comes pouring out. She grabs him by the feet. And Gehazi comes near to push her away. He's, she's attacking him, you know. He doesn't know what's going on. But the man of God said, let her alone. for Her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Very, very important for those of you who are in ministry. Or look at people who are in ministry. We don't know. We only know what God tells us. We don't have some special hotline. You don't have some special hotline. You know that. You wish everybody knew that. Sometimes God talks. Sometimes God ministers to you. A lot of times he doesn't. Now, the beautiful thing about Elisha is he's surprised that God hasn't talked to him. He's so in tune, so much walking in the spirit that he's surprised he's hidden it from me. This is different. I mean, that's where you want to walk. I mean, that's where you want to be, where you usually hear from God. I'm on the other end of that spectrum. I don't know about you. It's like, hey, God talked to me. I got something out of his word. He spoke to my heart. Woo, you know. Elisha's on the other end of that. That's important. Let me read you a few verses here. John chapter 5, verse 19. This is Jesus, our example. Remember that. Jesus, the Son of God, our example. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Right off the bat, he's trying to teach his disciples, learn this, boys. I can't do it without the Father, and you definitely can't do it without the Father. And we can only do what the Father wants us to do. We cannot do what the Father doesn't want us to do. It is fully in his control. Just a few verses later, John chapter 5, verse 30. I can of myself do nothing, Jesus says. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. I don't do anything that isn't by God. That's the key. That's, that's the... That's the, that's the accusation against me. That's the crime. I just told you out loud that I don't hear from God as often as I'd like to. Why? Why don't we hear from God as often? Because I'm often not about his business. I can only do what God tells me to do. I can only say what God tells me to say. Jesus was so in tune. He always did the right thing. Why? Because he was always about his father's business. When I wonder in my life how I come, how I don't hear from God, there's my answer. Am I doing what God wants me to do, or am I doing what I want me to do, and I'm asking God to come alongside of me? And finally, John 15, 5, Jesus follows up with those two verses in John 5 with this one from 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bear much fruit, and without me you can do nothing. That's when he brings it home for us. I've been the example. I've showed you what it looks like. I've got to wait for the Father. You're not going to be better than me and not have to wait for the Father. 
And so finally he says, and by the way, you need to stay attached to me, Jesus, or you can't do anything. You can't bear fruit without me. You cannot cut yourself off from me, walk over there and bear fruit. I am the vine. I provide. I'm the only way you can have fruit in your life. So when I cut myself off from Jesus, from his word, from prayer, from worship, from whatever it is that I do, and I stand over here and try to root myself and make myself bear fruit, and I can't, why am I not bearing fruit? You cut yourself off. So that being said, this man of God admits and wants everybody to know, including his servant. His servant watches this. He's hidden it from me. That's the first time this kid's probably ever heard that. It may not be a kid, but I'm just guessing he is. Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. Is this of God? It isn't. It's Elisha coming up with... I don't know, take my staff. Go, go lay it on the kid. You run. I, I'm old. You're fast. Go, go, run, run, run. If anybody tries to talk to you, don't even talk to him. Just run right past him. Go get my staff and set it on this kid. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. Still really calm. No, 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 no. I don't want your servant. I don't want your staff. I want you. You did this. You did this. I skipped a verse that I want to go back to, and I didn't mean to. It's verse 28. And she said to him, Did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? It's really, really important. She was fine. And we've talked about that. I've already shared that with you. I don't want to go over it again. But she blames him. This pain that I'm feeling, I wouldn't be feeling. I've dealt with the loss, the ability of to not have children. Uh, I, I've gotten over that. I've figured out how to live with that kind of pain. This is a whole new level of pain. You don't know a broken heart until you've given your heart away to somebody else, right? Well, if I hadn't given my heart to somebody else, I would have never felt this pain that I'm feeling. But that pain that we feel in that suffering, in that loss, is the same pain that God feels about us. He's given us his heart. He's shown us his heart. The pain that she's feeling is a whole new level for her. And this is what I'm getting at. We could be sailing in life, knowing Jesus, financially sound, in our glory days, holding babies, what grandbabies, whatever it is that's the end for you. And you're just ready to just kind of just go off into the sunset and all of a sudden, something like this hits you, you know, because God wants to take us deeper. Even this woman who knows enough, despite her unbelieving husband or whatever his deal is, to build a room for a prophet who's traveling by, gift of hospitality, filled with the spirit, content where she is, has dealt with the fact she doesn't have a boy. God says, I want to take you deeper and gives her something. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And there she sits in a pain, in a depth, in a faith, in a crying out to God that she's never experienced before in her life. God wants to take us deeper. He wants to take us much deeper. And just when you think you've reached or attained or plateaued, 
I think college classes are geared that way, aren't they? You've got your 100 classes, you've got your 200 classes, your 300, and then you've got the 400s. And those are ugly classes, you know, ugly classes. And if you didn't get one, two, and 300, you ain't getting 400. Those are impossible without those others. Sometimes God will take us to that 400, whether we like it or not. That's okay. I'm the one that asked him. I want to be as close to you as possible. Anyway, back to our story where I left off. So, I'm not leaving you. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them, verse 31, and laid his staff on the face of the child. There was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore, he went back to meet them and told him, saying, child is not awakened. And Elisha's got to be like, I don't, I'm trying, I'm trying. I thought my staff, he's just trying. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed and went in there, or went in there for shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. Now that does remind us of something, doesn't it? Exactly what happened with Elijah, stretching himself out, laying on the kid. Oh, my life for his, my life for his. And he got warm. Well, that's a good step in the right direction. He's not becoming room temperature anymore. The flesh of the child became more. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. I don't know what to do. Elisha doesn't know what to do. He didn't come back to life, but he's warm. He's walking around. He's pacing back and forth. He's not doing anything special. This isn't some ritual. This is a man of God who literally doesn't know what to do next. And he's got a woman over there blaming him for the death of the child that he promised her. And he doesn't know what's going on with God because God concealed it from him. He is in a place that he's never been in before. And his, his protege is watching him going, okay, yeah, I don't want to be in the ministry anymore. You know, you can keep it. And he called Gehazi as he stretched him out. Look at this. He returned and walked back and forth the house, stretched himself out again. And the, the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. What is that? We don't know. I love the Bible. It's so crazy honest. The writer's going, and then he sneezed seven times and got up. I don't know. You know, you can almost see him write that. What does sneezing have to do with it? Someone will try to make a a book out of that. And if you sneeze seven times, the Lord will. No, we don't know what happened here. Elisha doesn't know what happened here. Gehazi doesn't know. The woman doesn't know. Call the Shunite woman. So he called her. And when he came, when she came into him, he said, pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Notice she worshiped first. Not necessarily him, but bowed down. Oh, oh, are you kidding me? You know, oh, praise the Lord. You can just hear her. You can feel that room. You can see Elisha sitting in the corner, all slouched, just going, I can't believe it worked, you know? And the other prophets stand there with the staff going, I don't know whether to give it back to him or what, you know, nobody knows what to do, but they're just all, it's all over with. He's back. What a relief. So the Bible moves on. 
Elisha purifies the pot of stew, it says. Now, Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. Now, the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, starving to death. And he said to his servant, put on the largest or the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. So one went out to the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it a lap full of wild gourds and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. <laughs> it's like, I found these mushrooms, so I cooked them up and ate them. Yeah, no, man, you know. Then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating. I don't know why I laugh, but you can see these hundred, there's a hundred of these guys are all just, they, and some guy looks up and says, man of God, there's death in the pot. And they could not eat it. Who got, the, where'd you get these gourds from? Well, I thought they were, you know, <laughs> and these guys are, you could see them spitting their food out, you know, ah, Jerome, what are you doing, man? You know, whatever his name is. So he said, this is Elisha then bring some flour. And he put it into the pot and said, serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Odd story, right? I just can't help but think these are the, the soon to be graduates of the school, of the prophets. And this guy who has no degree comes in and says, put some flour in it. It'll be all right. Eat it. What a great example. And, I, and this is a stretch, but what a great example of what the Holy Spirit can do. You know, the pot's full of death and, and we can't eat it and we don't know what to do. And some guy with the Holy Spirit comes alongside and says, why don't you just put some flour in it? Well, that's a good idea. And it worked, you know, salt worked for him before, flour worked this time. Has nothing to do with the flour or the salt, has everything to do with his faith, just trusting God. He moves on then, verse 42. Then the man came from, a man came from Baal uh, Shalisha. And brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread and new ripened uh, grain from his knapsack. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. But his servant, this is Gehazi again, said, what, sh what? shall I set this before 100 men? That's the first time we hear this guy question the man of God's orders. Why? Because the veil's been pulled back for this kid. And he realizes Elisha's nobody, Elijah's nobody. We're all the same, except the power of the Holy Spirit makes a difference. And so he's like, really? You want me to set this little bit of food in front of all these guys? How's that going to work? I bet he never talked like that before. And Elisha's never had to answer a question like that before. Everybody got kind of awakened to the fact that we're all exactly the same, except that God chooses some, anoints others, gives gifts to some, withholds gifts from others, whatever it may be, but it truly is just the Lord. It's always been just the Lord. It always will be just the Lord. It's by his spirit that we do anything that we do. Nobody gets good at evangelism. You may get flowery with your words, smooth with your speech, but without the Holy Spirit, there's no fruit. There won't be any fruit. It's by the Holy Spirit that we have fruit in our lives. And he knows that. How am I going to set this before a hundred guys? Because what was his first command? Give it to the people that they may eat. So he questions him. And so he says it again, but he adds something to it. Look what he adds. Give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. That's the difference. 
Before it was just a command from Elisha. I don't know. I don't know if that's of God or not. Okay, let me say that again. Go give him something to eat. Thus says the Lord. Oh, well, that I could do. God says to do it. It's interesting. So he said it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. What a great way to end. According to the word of the Lord, it happened just like God said it would happen. According to the word. The staff mm -mm, wasn't God's plan. God's plan was for Elisha to go and stretch himself out on this boy. That's what needed to happen. But Elisha tried something different. Let's hurry up. Speed was of the essence. The pressure was on. This kid's faster than I am. Maybe if I gave him my staff, that'll work. Go, run. We'll try to catch up, you know, kind of thing. Pressure from people. I don't know. I want to do it some other way. Be encouraged. I hope you are. Because all of these folks in the Bible are just like you. They're just like me. The story is so real and so raw. The emotions, the taking ourselves to a God, taking ourselves to another level of faith. So typical, so throughout scripture. But when the Holy Spirit is in my life and in your life, it's an absolute amazing thing that he'll, my life will glow and shine, not for my sake, but for his. Elisha had his moment where everybody got their eyes off of him including his closest servant, and everybody got their eyes on the Lord. And they never looked at him the same way again. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for telling us, writing this story down with all of its quirks that we call quirks, sneezing seven times and staff and, and babies and, and, and all these strange things, death in the pot, what a great chapter, rich and full of you and what you do, how you can make a pot full of death, full of life to bring energy and sustenance to those who eat it. How that you filled, filling anybody with your Holy Spirit, it, it can change everything. All the works that they do become fruitful because of your Holy Spirit in their life. So Lord, help us to hold on to that as we walk this walk this week that it won't be because I'm good at something. It won't be because I've been down this road before or have experience. It'll only be because we're filled with your spirit that there's any fruit that comes of it. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. Thank you for letting us all come back together again, most of us anyway, to worship you um, in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.